Walking distance is supported by Gosmer Gear. On my recent shakedown hike on the Superior Hiking Trail, I had big wind on a ridge. But my Gossamer Gear trekking pole single tent called the One barely moved. At only 17 ounces, the One packs down to the size of a hamster. But it's bomb-proof with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. That's why Gossamer Gear is my choice for the Continental Divide Trail. Oh, and I'll carry it in the Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE, and you'll get 15% off some of the highest quality lightweight gear out there. Walking Distance is your code on your next order at gossamergear.com. I think sometimes people get the impression that if you're running, it has to be this like all out effort where you're like just sucking wind and your heart rate sky high the whole time. It's not like that. It's a great way to actually see a lot of terrain in a short amount of time. And it's not just some intense exercise ego trip or anything like that. From the trek, this is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers, and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there, and that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Blissful Hiker. Gabe Joyce is an ultramarathoner, a sponsored athlete based in Lander, Wyoming, at the doorstep of the Wind River Range. With most races canceled this past year due to COVID, he joined the thousands of runners who went out on trails to race against the clock and grab an FKT, or fastest known time. FKTs are what they sound like, the fastest movement through an established route, one that's at least five miles long and with 500 feet of climbing. People run them on all terrains, trails, roads, mountains, and ranging from fairly short to the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. I've been especially curious about FKTs on our backpacking routes, maybe with a bit of cynicism, like why would you want to run through an area so beautiful and rich with diversity? Wouldn't moving fast sort of defeat the purpose since your attention would be on your body and how grueling it is to move fast? I learned that Gabe Joyce nabbed the FKT for the entire Wind River High Route. Now, that's an alternate on the Continental Divide Trail, which I'll walk this season. It's about 100 miles, with two-thirds of the route off-trail over talus, granite slabs, snow, and glacial ice. And it has two 13,000-foot summits and nine alpine passes. Add that all up, and you get 30,000 feet of elevation gain— Plus, it never crosses a road and is not immediately accessible from any trailhead. So attempting an FKT of the Wind River High Route is huge. But after a couple of tries, one where he had to stop after a fall that broke a few ribs, Gabe Joyce nailed it this past September, completing the High Route unsupported in 47 hours. I contacted him, yes, to congratulate him, but also to find out what this sport is all about and his answers surprised and delighted me. I considered myself like a hiker and a backpacker long before I was ever at all a runner. 
I, I loved doing hiking and backpacking. I, I worked at a summer camp where I took uh, students on backpacking trips. You know, we did very low mileage days. You know, we would be out all day and we'd cover like eight miles, you know, uh, carrying like 50 pound packs or more. You know, I, I mean, I, I very much have done that style as like I grew into my 20s um, and especially into my 30s you know, time became more of an issue for me. So if, if I wanted to go and, and visit wonderful places, that's the sort of places you dream about, I, I didn't have time to go and, you know, do eight, 10 miles a day. It was like, well, uh, I would like to be home by dinner so I can be with my family and, and then go do this other work thing or whatever. And well, the way to still go see those places in a, a short amount of time is, is to run. How do you choose gear? So I'm thinking like, do you have trekking poles, traction, ice axe? Yeah, I put a, a ton of thought into that. So, you know, first and foremost, you have to have like the right gear that allows you to get the job done, right? You have to be able to be comfortable enough, but it gets really tricky to carry enough clothing and food for, you know, two days to keep your pack light enough where you can actually run. Like, so I had thought about trying to fast pack this route, but even when you add like a super lightweight sleep setup, you you kind of cross the line where you're not able to run anymore. And I knew if I wanted to run, like cover the amount of ground and the time I wanted to do, it just had to be light enough. So uh, I certainly try to be super minimalist and not carry much, but also like respect the route and know that I certainly could get injured and I would need some way to stay warm and kind of take care of my sorry self. So I kept it pretty simple. I had mostly alternated between a t-shirt and a long sleeve shirt the whole time. I had um, a rain jacket. I had a very lightweight synthetic puffy jacket. I had an additional warm layer. It was kind of a hybrid of like a puffy jacket and a wind jacket that I never ended up wearing, I don't think. I had some light rain pants. I had some lightweight gloves and then like a buff and a sun hat. And then I had a headlamp, trucking poles, and that's about it. A very, very small like first aid kit enough to like bandage myself up if I had some sort of mishap. And yeah, that was about it. No traction then? Nope. No, not that wasn't needed. People ask me that all the time about the winds if they need traction. And I have never carried traction with me in the winds and I've never really needed it. I find that a good pair of trekking poles and some some shoes that have some lugs and some sticky rubber have always gotten the job done for me particularly in September when, you know, a lot of the snow was melted. It's a non-issue. I made sure I crossed all the glaciers in the afternoon as well. So they'd be a little bit softer. I timed that out on purpose, again, to keep pack weights low. I didn't want to carry traction and only need to use it for like 15 minutes or something. That'd be a long way to lug it around. You mentioned that you used a watch to track your way, but you have no support, really. You're out there by yourself. I mean, that must be really dangerous. Yeah, it, it, frankly, it is kind of a dangerous route. And it's a dangerous route to do like solo like that. Um, and I was aware of that, especially with my my incident the previous time I, I tried this. And so yeah, you know, it takes, you know, a lot of mountain skills, it definitely takes uh, a little bit of confidence and, and just being committed, being all in and realizing that, you know, things could go wrong. I, I had a, a Garmin inReach Mini with me as well, where if, you know, things really, really went wrong, um, I had that to help me out. But I was fully prepared to be self-sufficient and to roll with the punches, if you will, because I, I figured there would be some struggles along the way. But I was fortunate and was able to stay healthy the whole time. So I was lucky. I mean, is that part of setting the FKT for you is to not be supported and also not even have like someone running with you? 
or or like meeting you part of the way. Yeah, I I was drawn with doing this this route in an unsupported style. That was just appealing, just to be like, I'm gonna go on a huge adventure, um, and I'm gonna just do it on my own and and have a good time. You said that you scouted it. You have you know some idea of where you're going, but I imagine that like the route changes because of you know where the snow is or where the crevasses are. I mean, how did you deal with? Did you ever come upon something that really was, you know, different when you arrived there? Yeah, um, actually, in the in the Alpine Lake section, I don't know if you're familiar with that area is, at all, but um, no, I've never been there. Okay, the Alpine Lake section is great. It's uh, there's there's no trails through there. Um, it's these two or three huge lakes that are surrounded by these cliffs, like you know, it's all rocks. And I did not get a chance to scout that section last summer. And the previous time I had been on that was quite a few years ago. I think it was 2011. And these lakes were still frozen solid in August. And I was able just to walk across these lakes. And it was like easy peasy, you know, quick travel. And so when I came through there in September of last year, there there wasn't any ice. And um, finding the way around the the lakes through all these, all these buttresses and cliffs and rocks. And that was um, surprisingly slower, you know, so much slower than walking across ice. And that took a long time and it was extremely tedious and not straightforward. And you had a full moon. I mean, I just think that's incredible that you timed it just right. But you have to run at night. And I imagine that that's really disorienting. You're absolutely right. It was, uh, particularly with sleep deprivation as a part of that as well. There was one time when I was approaching Europe Peak where you're up on these high open plateaus, like, you know, it's like 11 or 12,000 feet. And even with the moon kind of illuminating things, all the peaks around me were just silhouettes. And I actually did like a complete U-turn. I got so disoriented. I had like a, I was able to track myself on my watch and see the little, you know, the little line I was creating. And somehow I'd like completely turned around. And so there was moments like that that were baffling and frustrating, not normally what I do. And do you miss seeing the views? Well, I mean, I guess you're seeing the views in a really different way because they're illuminated by the moon. No, yeah, I don't miss the didn't miss the views at all because they're spectacular in their own light. I mean, there's nothing quite like seeing um, you know, all the stars or yeah, the silhouette of all these like black peaks with the moon behind them or it's gorgeous scenery in its own right. It's it's just different, you know. It's like uh like comparing two beautiful paintings. How do you say which one's better than the other? It's the different experience. You know, you bring up something that sort of didn't really occur to me. I mean, obviously, it's not just like this physical challenge. There's the mental challenge of like not being able to stop because you're really trying to hit a record time. But also kind of the mental challenge of always staying focused on where you are and the route finding. I mean, that must be exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. And I, frankly, I would say that w- that was the hardest part of the high route. I mean, it's, it's an immense physical challenge uh, for sure. But um, to be like on and focused for for 47 hours without sleeping took extreme concentration. I, I've never ran that long. I've never, never been awake that long for that many hours before. And so to like to stay with it, particularly when you're sleepy, it's just so hard. You know, the most basic of things suddenly become difficult. I can think of two or three moments where I really kind of like, in my mind, I blew it, right? I was like super inefficient or, you know, made some poor decisions. In hindsight, I'm like, wow, I could have saved an hour in that section by 
you know, staying high rather than going low or whatever it was. But, um, you know, you do the best you can at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you talked a little bit about hallucinations. And I have to say that I, on the PCT, I was talking to some, you know, other hiker and said, can you hear that country music? It's so loud. And and they said, that's a waterfall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, in the ultra running world, hallucinations are pretty normal. And I have to say, I've never, I've never really had any before. Nothing like I experienced in the high route. I mean, I was like well aware. I'm like, I was like, wow, Gabe, you're losing it, man. Like you are totally going bonkers here. Yeah. Hearing country music coming from all the water in the last section. So the last 18 miles of the route, it's all on like single track that I'm extremely familiar with. You know, I was able to kind of a little bit let my brain calm down there, but you know, I let my focus down just a little bit and it's like things went wild. Um, I was hearing all sorts of stuff and having conversations with people. And yeah, that was really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have quite the diary of the two days. And I was wondering how you remember every step like that. I mean, maybe just because you were so present. Are you recording anything when you go? Do you listen to anything? Oh, no, no. I'm I'm extremely focused when I'm out there. And, and I think you're right. It's all about being really present. I mean, I feel like I can do almost like a minute by minute replay of the whole thing in my head. I was so focused and so dialed in. And, you know, sometimes I get as a runner, sometimes people who more enjoy a hiking pace, sometimes they criticize me and they're like, wow, you went so fast. You didn't even see anything out there. That just couldn't be further from the truth with like as engrossed and focused as I am in the experience. Um, I, I feel like I remember just about every moment of it. You know, I'm really glad you said that because I have always had this kind of problem with sort of the difference between, you know, like doing something like I've done the PCT and the Tadaroa and about to do the CDT. You know, and it's like, yeah, I go for a lot of miles, but I don't go very fast. But it has always been this a little bit of a like a what exactly is the point of doing that? And I think you've you've explained it really well. And I didn't want to ask it like that obnoxiously, <laughs> but maybe I should ask it that obnoxiously. Well, I think the the first thought I have is because, you know, I do have people say things like that is, well, have you ever tried it? Like I said, I, you know, I've done days with 50, 60 pound packs. I've done days with 20 and 30 pound packs. And I've ran all day with just like a handheld water bottle. And I think they're all wonderful ways to go and see the wilderness. And I would not disparage any one of them because ultimately you're out there on your two feet exploring, right? It's, it's super cool. And they all have pros and cons to them. For one example, like the pain and discomfort of running. I find that like the pain and discomfort of a 50 pound pack really distracts me from the experience, right? <laughs> yeah. Your shoulders and your hips are killing you and you need to readjust this. You need to like, you know, they're so hot that that can be a really distracting from the experience. And I can like not be in the moment as much when I'm having that versus when I'm just like, you know, where I just have like a rain jacket in my pack and that's it. Um, so there's just pros and cons to it each way. And I don't think either is better or worse. And and when I backpack with my kids, you know, I have a daughter who's eight and five, you know, we cover, you know, three miles or whatever it is. And it's at a very slow pace with lots of snack breaks. And I love it. It's a fantastic way to travel, but it's, it's a, a super different experience than, you know, where on a summer day, I might go and run 30 or 35 miles just on my own with like the thoughts in my head, looking around and, and not caring much. And you see, you see different things in different ways. And uh, they're both a great experience. 
Well, Gabe Joyce, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Allison. I appreciate the opportunity. Gabe Joyce is an ultramarathoner and backpacker who claimed the FKT, or fastest known time, for the Wind River High Route in Wyoming. I felt sort of embarrassed sharing with him that in my outdoor life, I've run exactly one ultra, the Felsman in the UK's moorland. It's also a route-finding exercise of 60-plus miles and 11,000 feet of gain. And I was surprised when doing it that it is not all about running, but very fast and efficient walking. Gabe referred to his speed sometimes as trotting, though on snow he says he goes all out since it's easy to move fast. Well, I find it especially reassuring that while Gabe is a competitive athlete, there's so much humility in what he does. He studies the route, he carefully determines his gear, and he recognizes that the mountains have the final say. When we come back, Ryan Gelfie joins me. He's an ultramarathoner with a few FKTs under his belt. He's an endurance athlete coach and the owner of a company in Ashland, Oregon called Wilderness Fastpacking. I mean, to me, it's all in its infancy. So I think all these words are kind of going to continue to like gain new meanings over time. But I would like to call it faster packing. Like forget the absolute term fast because that doesn't mean anything. What I think it means is that it's a way to go into these big wild pieces of country and go faster than you would go without this kind of lightweight kit. So it's not that you have to go fast or that you have to run. In fact, I think, you know, you don't have to run much at all, but you're still going to cover quite a bit more ground on your weekend fast packing trip than you would if you didn't have this type of gear and didn't sort of jettison some of the extra stuff. I'm Blissful Hiker, and this is Walking Distance from the Trek. Walking Distance is supported by John Reamer and Associates. On a backpack trip, you wouldn't think of heading out without a map, a compass, and a guidebook. Planning for a healthy financial future is much the same. It's a step-by-step process. And at John Reamer and Associates, you'll get personalized financial advice to help you reach your goals today and tomorrow. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Be inspired at johnreamer.com. A private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, located in Minnesota with over 30 years of experience. This is Walking Distance. I'm Blissful Hiker. So you may not be an ultramarathoner. You may not be an athlete. But you're a backpacker who wants to move more efficiently like Gabe Joy's. And you share with him the fact that your life is busy and you can't dedicate weeks at a time to the outdoors in a way that gets you deep into the backcountry. That's where fast packing comes in. I look at fast packing as like a hybrid of backpacking. It's a way to go for multiple day trips, self-support, you know, unsupported in, you know, larger wilderness sort of environments, you know, carrying significantly less weight. It's enough less weight that if you want to run, that you can run certainly on easy parts of the terrain. I would say very few, if hardly any people are like running uphill with these packs on, but on like somewhat easy downhills or flat terrain, like then if you wanted to, the packs are built in a way that they don't bounce too much. Like a lot of them are a little more like a vest in terms of the weight, the difference, you know, like if you say, you know, for three days, maybe their weight is 30 to 40 pounds. I would, that's like a normal backpacking weight. That's how I would think of it. And fast packing, People with, you know, with food and water, we try to shoot for more like 15 to like kind of 20 on the high end for like a three-day trip. 
So what's the difference between fast packing and just ultralight backpacking? So it's almost the same. I think the running part might be the difference <laughs> that like, because when I see like the ultralight backpacks, they're mostly like 40 liters. And these fast packs can go from like 20 to 30 liters. I think if you were trying to go for a week without resupplying, it would just be the same thing. <laughs> I think there's no difference. I would say for fast packing, when you're non-masochistic version of fast packing, where you have a sleeping bag, you have a stove, like you kind of have all the regular kit that you can kind of work with those 25-ish liter packs for, you know, three or four days. But beyond that, it just gets too heavy with the food. Right. I mean, it's like a paradigm shift to taking in more of the trail, more of the wilderness, um, because you have a limited time. That's that's how I look at it. So I'm a lot of things, but I'm definitely a runner is one of the things that I do doing like kind of, you know, long distance trail running. And I have two little kids now. <laughs> so when I was younger, I felt like I kind of had as much time as I wanted to do a lot of stuff. And now I don't. So there's loops, you know, like different places I like to go. And it's like, hey, there's this 50 mile loop. You know, if I had a traditional backpack, you know, maybe it would take four days. But with these fast packing kits and just kind of moving efficiently, you can go do it in a weekend. And so it really opens up weekend opportunities that I think are hard to do otherwise. So this is a show about fastest known times and this whole idea of going fast on trails that people normally backpack on. And I've learned that you know, being running fit and being walking fit are actually different things. Do you agree with that? I would definitely agree. I think it depends so much on the individual person. So I coach runners for, that's my main job. What I do for a living, I coach lots of different runners, mostly people who are doing trail running and they come from lots of different backgrounds. And now there's some people I really have to kind of help push. I'm like, you know, you need to hike more in your training. Like you're trying to do this 50 or a hundred mile race, like hiking's a huge part of it. And people who come from say more of a normal running background don't necessarily have that ingrained in their head or they think hiking is, they they don't want to hike as much, but they totally need to. And they're not very good at it (laughs) initially. And, you know, people who come from like, say more of a hiking background or mountaineering background, like they can literally hike up some of these climbs as fast or faster than, you know, people that are still trying to run some of the time. So I, I think that they're definitely different things, but I think you can be good at both of them if you have the right mindset and kind of practice. So I want you to share some general tips to get started as a fast packer. I mean, I'd say number one is to get in good shape, but also to dial in your gear, nutrition. I mean, could you tell me a few tips that people could take? Certainly everything about traveling through the mountains, especially moving faster, you know, fitness is kind of, uh, it's top dog. It's so helpful. (laughs) So like just consistent training, and that can mean a lot of different things, but it could be running, it could be hiking or a combination of the two, but you know, just consistently getting out, you know, three, four, five days a week. And, you know, not necessarily, you don't have to push hard. It's not like this no pain, no gain sort of mantra where, oh, you need to go out and work out really hard. Like you need to go out and work out at, actually relatively easy efforts, but do it really regularly. And so like, I think that applies to anybody if they're coming from a running background or a hiking background, like kind of thinking of the training piece helps you get so much more fit if you are, if you can have some dedication to that. And then the gear part is, it's funny because like, I think a lot of people 
think that it sounds so daunting and it is I mean, there's so much out there when you start just googling this stuff or looking at different kinds of gear reviews you could just get burdened with it so i'll just boil down some of the key pieces like that i look at when i'm when, that i have looked at what i get from my stuff and for like the business that i'm starting we're providing a lot of this stuff for the guided fast packing trips we're doing so for like for summer trips in i don't know the northern hemisphere where if it's not too cold where you live you know you shoot for a 30 degree summer bag that weighs around one pound around 16 ounces and then a sleeping pad should weigh around 12 ounces or maybe up to 14. and then a shelter if you do it right it should be around 16 ounces per person but that's a little more expensive depending on what you do so those are your three big pieces along and then of course the the pack and so if you can get those things kind of picked out and dialed, you know, they shouldn't cost much more than twelve or $1,400, you know, brand new at retail, like really nice stuff. Now, you mentioned the pack and you said earlier that you actually wear a little bit of a different pack so you can run. So if a backpacker is thinking of becoming a fast packer, would they really need to get a different setup for their backpack? I would say yes. Not, And that's not mandatory. Like I have friends, like I've taken friends out who have like maybe more of like a 40 or 50 liter pack. And like, of course, you can cinch it down. And it's fine, you know, it's, you know, obviously you you can easily just fit everything in there. I'd say that here's a few of the key differences that I think make a fast pack different and what makes it smoother and more enjoyable. Like for one, there's just a lot more pocketing in the front. Like, you know, every, and I know other regular backpacks, you can kind of reach into the side and get water and not have to stop and stuff to get it out. But like the packs I've used, you can really put a lot of stuff that you need that's super accessible. So you just don't have to stop as much if you don't want to. Well, that's such a small thing, but it does make a huge difference to have the water like in some sort of front piece, like a pocket in front. And I I hiked the Colorado Trail with it that way. And then you're just kind of pulling it out and sipping. But if you have it inside your pack, which is the way I did the PCT, you, you know, you tend to stop a lot. And then you can kind of get into that situation where you don't stop and then you don't get enough water, which I definitely fall into. I do a lot of other types of things, like different ski mountaineering things. And I, so I have different packs for these other activities. And a lot of them don't have this like front, super accessible water. And then, I, yeah, I just totally, I'll drink like once every couple hours. So I think that is huge. Like if you're out moving all day, if you can have food and fluids, right? Food and water. If you can have those things accessible, like you're going to do a lot better physically because uh, you will eat consistently and you'll drink consistently. So to me, it actually is, it's probably more important than I even give it credit for. So this is a question for like ultralight community as well, but how do you hike with less, go fast and stay safe? I guess one thing I will boil down the safety piece into is that like decision-making is king like obviously there's uh, there's things that happen that you are out of your control but i think that like when you're in remote environments and like i don't know you don't have everything in the kitchen sink with you you have to a just recognize that there's a certain level of risk involved and b like you have to tone down what you'll do like maybe you're not going to jump across that creek you know maybe you just get your feet wet you know like decisions like that like you have to tone it down because like you don't have as big margins well so we talked about the whole idea of like fast packing and it's not exactly just fast, but faster. And so I wonder if like people can still take time to, you know, talk to other hikers along the way, take pictures. I mean, stare at the view. I mean, is there a moment of like being in, you know, the space without really thinking of going fast? Yes, absolutely. 100%. That's why I'm trying to, I think the name, it doesn't necessarily do everything I wish this name would do. Like 
I think it is the name, like it's kind of what's been adopted by the community. But so we're going to cover around 15 miles a day. That's a little bit tough terrain that the places we're going are, if you compare it to say the PCT, it's a little bit more rugged, more vertical gain. So like it's, they're tougher trails, but it's not like you better move super fast. Otherwise you're not going to complete it. Like, I mean, people will have time to hang out at lakes. Like we'll get to the top of a pass and eat lunch. (laughs) No, it's not. This is not like a, how fast can you move? It's, that's not it at all. It can be that. Like sometimes I'll go on personal trips where I am moving the whole time. And that's kind of the point, but that's not, I do it the other way too. Like many, many times where you go out and like, yeah, you stop a lot because that's why you're out there. So I think it can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, and I wonder if it can be whatever I want it to be. Because here's the situation for me. I can't run. And actually, I was forbidden by my doctor because I have brand new titanium hips. And he just said, yeah, he said, they'll last longer if you only hike and walk. Mm -hmm. And so I just wonder if someone like me could take up, quote unquote, fast packing by only walking. Yes, I, I know it's it's a conundrum because like like some of the things I'm talking about, it's like that you can run. It's faster if you run on some of it, but it's not like that much different because no one's really running up. Like so, you everyone going up is going up at the speed that they feel like hiking at or what they can hike at. And so, the way I've designed at least our the guided trips we're doing, the the days are short enough that you, no one would have to run any of it necessarily. Like I have people that have asked this question, people I I know are coming, and I'm like, no, like this, you know, we'll regroup at places. I'm going to do a lot in terms of like front loading, how to use some of these mapping applications on phones and having people get really dialed on that part. So like we will spread out, we'll regroup, people will have really good understanding of the map and where we're going and they'll have it on their phone. So no, no one has to run. Hey, well, Ryan Gelfi, thank you so much for talking with us today about fast packing. Oh yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Really appreciate it. If you want to check out what this new style of backpacking is called fast packing, give Ryan Gelfi a call. His company, Wilderness Fast Packing, provides the gear, the route planning, the food, and the guidance so you can get a taste of what it feels like to be an ultra trail runner holding an FKT like Gabe Joy's without having to have that level of fitness or the gear and the skills just yet. And you can discover that moving fast and efficiently gives you more views and more mountain terrain and is not just a hard grind. As I pointed out, my style right now in my life is to avoid running so my new titanium parts last into my 80s. I mean, it's not that I can't run, but probably that I shouldn't run. But that doesn't mean that I, or you, can't add some of the strategies of fast packing to our backpacking planning. As always, there's more in the show notes, and we'd love to hear from you about your backpacking style and your questions. You can write us at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co or find us on Instagram at walkingdistancepod. And thanks again to today's title sponsor, Gosmer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories, and my choice for the Continental Divide Trail. You can save 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and keep the ratings and reviews coming. That's how people find us. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance from the Tracking.